Hey everybody and welcome to another episode. So a little while back I was a guest on a podcast called Everything Steam. You can check out that podcast on YouTube and Spotify and all kinds of different places. It's on TikTok as well. So we talked about science and conspiracy theories and all the crazy debates and stuff that I have on TikTok regularly. So it was a really cool experience. So I have that podcast for you here, but like I said, you can also check out everything Steam on all platforms. Just look them up. And remember, if you like this content and you want to support, you can find me on Venmo and Patreon and all that good stuff. Go to YouTube. There's links for all that stuff there. Enjoy the episode. Eric, welcome to the podcast. How are you doing today? I'm good. Thanks for having me. Yeah, yeah. I'm excited to have you on the podcast. I've been admiring from, I guess, a close and afar at the same time with what you do uh, on TikTok and TikTok Live. It's It's been a, a fun journey just watching yeah. some of the lives and uh, not only getting a laugh, but also getting a sense of, um, you know, an education in terms of logical arguments and also getting exposed without having direct exposure to what say an opposing argument might be in terms of what we're going to address in the first segment which is talking about objective truths or things that have been they're pretty much talking about like what science has come to a consensus on and then the latter portion of the segment being more towards the conspiracy end of things so i think we're just gonna start here with the objective truths and talk about some of the common misconceptions. Maybe we could go, we have a little bit of a list, so maybe we can go through this one at a time. And I know you have a bunch of misconceptions that I'm sure that you could you could uh, enlighten the, audi- the audience yeah. with. So how about you start us off? Sure. So yeah, I, I do TikTok Lives, and I have, I have a little banner that says, um, just a list of scientific facts. I don't know. I don't really use the term objective truth very often. I'm not sure if there really is objective truth, but the scientific method still does inform us about true facts about how to describe the world. So the people, the most common arguments I get are people telling me that Earth is flat, not not round. Uh, it's not as common, but recently the idea that Earth is hollow uh, or that we live inside of Earth so some people think the earth is is a globe but it's hollow inside and the north and south poles there are holes there you can go in them and admiral bird for example saw the holes uh other people think that earth is hollow and we live on the inside surface of it which that doesn't make a lot of sense but i've been hearing that lately uh people tell me evolution isn't true not only that it it doesn't happen but it's like literally physically impossible for evolution to be true that's always fun the Big Bang never happened. What's hilarious about that is most of the people that tell me they don't believe in the Big Bang, uh, they actually do believe it because they don't know what the Big Bang is. And then I tell them, so do you think <laughs> the universe expands or not? And they go, yeah. Well, you believe in the Big Bang then. <laughs> and then they'll double down and say, no, I don't. Creationists think the Earth, they, they'll believe that uh, evolution doesn't happen and the Big Bang didn't happen, but also that Earth is only a few thousand years old. That's a new one. And then climate change, I get I get a few of those. It's not super common. It's probably because I don't think I have it in my banner mm. anymore. But those are those are the most common ones for me. 
Yeah. And I probably shouldn't have prefaced with objective truth. Maybe it's just based on what science has brought us with a rich amount of of data in terms of, and we'll talk about that later on how science works mm-hmm. and go through my understanding from what I've been told is there's different types of truths. And whenever I say objective, I just mean it as something that has, it has way more confirmation and is true kind of no matter what you think it is. It's not like a personal thing. It's something that just is part of reality or what reality tells us at least because the universe has no obligation to make sense to us, but yet we're just trying to, right? It's just something that we innately want to do. But yeah, yeah. I, I mean, I get some of that too, based on my, my platform, but you, I mean, you take it head on. (laughs) Yeah. I I welcome all dissent. That's actually kind of the point. Yeah. Is there a reason why you took the climate change off your list? I think I just kind of got bored of it a little bit because I I've switched stuff up. I used, I sometimes I'll put up there. Uh, you don't have free will, but every time I do that, that becomes like the dominant one. Um, mm-hmm. I don't remember. I either got bored of it or no. I think actually nobody ever really talked about it. It's happened a few times, but it was so rare that I was like, well, I only have so much real estate above my head. So yeah. I gotta I gotta fill it with stuff that's gonna make people go, oh yeah. <laughs> no, that makes sense. And, and honestly, most of the time when people want to have a conversation about like climate change, there's like two like axioms that they have, and that's that you know, well, it's snowing outside. Well, you're you have a misconception of what climate is yeah. and what weather mm-hmm. is. And then it, the other one is, well, climate help happens in cycles. It's like, yeah, true. I mean, we could talk about anthropogenic or we could talk about natural climate change both are happening and here's the data this is something that i try to say often is that we tend to view the world through the lens of our own experience yeah so uh that goes to what you said earlier like um trump famously tweeted on new year's one year they're supposed to have record-breaking cold temperatures in new york on new year's eve we need some of that climate change right so like the idea that whatever's happening to you is is what is is the state of the world that's common in many ways uh it's it's very common with the climate change thing but you know that's a bias that that everybody has or well some people have it more than others but that's a pretty common one yeah yeah um people can't think in global terms uh but and, and that's normal too we don't think in I think uh, I think it was Steven Pinker in one of his books. He has a really great quote that says, people don't think in data or algorithms. We think in stories. And the simpler the story, the more effective it is. So just yeah. saying, you know, a lot of the a lot of the debates I have with people, there's a there's a really great quote from uh, John Locke where he says, broad generalizations make good debate points, but it can't discover unknown truths or help us or sorry, or help the mind in its search for knowledge but that's just what comes more naturally to us and then the other thing with climate change denialism is just like they just say things like that you think that human or they call people who think that climate change is real arrogant because i i don't know exactly where it comes from but they they say things like you think that humans can impact the planet and that's and that's ridiculous but they don't think beyond that. It's just the talking point. So, you know, I'll always mm-hmm. say to them, like, do you agree that greenhouse gases exist? And it's like 50-50 <laughs> on what they're going to say to that. 
And then I go, okay, well, we know that there are almost twice as many of them as there were about 150 years ago. Mm-hmm. So I don't, I don't get how you can say that it definitely can't affect the climate, you know? But then there are other people that just like, they refer like to scripture or whatever, because I think it says something like the earth will abide and there will always be four seasons and stuff like that. So that's not true. And that's not even true in itself because there's a lot of places don't have four seasons. Yeah. If you live in the, if you live in the rainforest, then no, you get, you get a rainy season and a a hot, wet season and a hot, less wet season. Yeah. Uh, That's there aren't, there definitely aren't four of them. Um, Usually that's, that's usually not an argument that I hear. It's just like, it's impossible for us to impact the climate. But so what's really tricky about the climate change debate is that people that deny it, they will hijack the honesty of the other party. And what I mean by that is, mm. so Bill Nye pretty famously went on Tucker Carlson's show and Tucker Carlson asked him questions like, specifically how much of the temperature change is due to human activity? And that's basically an unanswerable question. Although I think yeah. you could probably say virtually all of it because mm-hmm. That doesn't mean that we are responsible for 100% of the temperature, but probably close to 100% of the change of the temperature. I don't know. But that's just the thing with with climate. It's so unbelievably complex that we could never possibly attribute, like, what was that, Hurricane Harvey, which broke all the world records for, like, rainfall in Texas in 2017, I think that was. We cannot definitively say that that would have been a Category 3 hurricane if the industrial revolution never happened, you know, or something like that. Mm -hmm. Um, And I certainly don't regret the industrial revolution. (laughs) No, but we we can't do that. But we know, like our climate models tell us that we know that when you add energy to the atmosphere, then you can expect more more of these kinds of events. So there's more energy. So you should expect Mm -hmm. to see more rainfall and, and this and that, but we'll never be able to pinpoint the exact ones. And you probably like in the media, if you if you watch two parties debate that, if it's like on the news or something, they're both going to be extremely dishonest. The the climate change, you know, believer is going to be very reluctant to engage with that because that's the reality of it. And then, mm-hmm. like I said, that can just be hijacked by the other side. So it's kind of unfortunate. Yeah. And it's and it and and back to your point about like how we we don't know it definitively and we can't put like a lot of definitive numbers on things. I mean, it's based on the relativity of wrong, right? We're we're trying to model these things on our best guess with with the data that we have. Uh, we have a lot of data on it, but are we gonna be hundred percent accurate? No. And you can look at a lot like I was talking to a climate scientist or a climate so he's a he's in his PhD track and he specifically works on climate modeling. And I had an episode with him. We okay. talked for like two hours, and we were talking about how they take all these different uh, like ice cores, dendrochronology. They have rocks, rock sampling, uh, so geocores, uh, all of these different things that they pull together and make these models. And they put together these uh, trends between you know ten thousand years, a hundred thousand years, a million years. Uh, all mm-hmm. the way back, you know, it can be 100 million years. And what they do is they look at these glacial and interglacial periods. And then you can kind of say what he was saying is that because of the of, because of what anthropogenic climate change has done is it has erased the trend line of the interglacial period and has now zeroed it out. So it has completely changed the trajectory of what the natural climate was supposed to be doing. So that's where you can say... Humans are a hundred 
actually now a hundred plus percent effective towards climate change. So you can you can take yeah. the you can understand the trends, but you're not going to definitively define an answer, you know, in all cases. But we can kind of interpret it in in certain ways. But um, moving on from climate change, uh, what what kind of things do you face? I'm sure you face a lot with this one, but like in terms of evolution, I know I get a lot of like the scientific uh, misfires in the past. Like, have you ever heard of the one of like the Piltdown Man? Like, that's a that's a pretty famously yeah. quoted one. Yeah, that was an actual scientific hoax. Um, mm -hmm. But <clears throat> what's what's sort of maddening about that is, yeah, you can, you can find a case where science, well. So the scientific method, like it, it's fallible people who make errors when conducting the scientific method, and it's yep. and it's fallible people who have agendas that, like I I wouldn't call the Piltdown Man even science. It, it was just a, it was a forgery. It was, it was a yes. guy who faked something, um, and I don't know if that guy was an actual paleontologist or anything like that. Maybe he was, maybe he wasn't. But what's like maddening about this is, do you know what process? figured out that Piltdown Man was a hoax, the scientific process. Yeah. The, the scientific method corrects its own errors, right? Um, who among you is willing to tell me that your alternative, like spiritual or religious, whatever explanation, is has has errors and forgeries in it? Absolutely nobody is willing to do that. But they agree that other others have done that. And they'll agree that for the most part, the sun doesn't orbit the earth, even though people that held their exact same beliefs centuries ago thought that. So it's like when a system can correct its own errors, that shows accountability. But to them, mm -hmm. they're like, no, that means that it's that it's fallible and imperfect. And then they'll just say wrong in general. Whereas my dogmatic beliefs, because they're dogmatic, according to me, are always right, according to me. And there's no justification for the alternative unless you just want to believe it. And so, yeah. 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 It's, it, I guess it's just a quick example of how they're trying to, to point fingers at science, but then at the same time, they don't realize that, that science solved the problem. Yeah. It, yeah. It's, it's not intellectually consistent at all. So yeah. yeah with, with evolution, uh, hardly anybody ever brings that specific one up. I mean, I get, oh. I get people that just tell me that, all the bones are either don't exist or are made up. Like some people think that the the fossils, the fossils, first of all, are rocks. They're not actually bones, except for like what we dig out of the La Brea tar pits in LA and and there and some frozen mammoths. Uh, those are are those really fossils? Kind of. They're classified in a different way. But I I get people that tell me that they just cut the rocks to look that way, and that's like that is so silly. Or that they don't exist at all. Like I, I had one very loud, angry man tell me, "You ever seen a fossil at a museum?" Yes. No, you haven't. They tell them they're in the back room. If you want to look at them, you're not allowed to. Well, sometimes yes, but other times no. I mean, they're they're precious and rare. Now that just so that's the proof that the whole thing is fake. Um, <laughs> so, it's just because I mean, they that, don't want you to be exposed to their fossils and and ruin yeah. anything. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, that's that's actually a justifiable reason. Or, you know, people, they'll say, yeah, I mean, we got the fossils and all this, but but evolution doesn't happen. People will tell me that evolution is, like, statistically impossible. Um, I, ha I had a guy just not that long ago, I, I just uploaded a video 
about this on my TikTok actually. And he just said like, you know, there were all these scientists and they said that the odds of, usually they mischaracterize how evolution even would happen, but they say like the odds of a fully formed cell just forming out of nowhere, which is not what the scientific method, what, what, uh, what evolution or the scientific method has ever said is how it occurs. But we'll just grant them that. Uh, that the odds of that are like one with a, a hundred zeros after it or whatever. And I said, okay, even if that's true, what are the odds of a miracle taking place? Because that's zero. So whatever the, like, what are the, what are the odds that like literally a mud man named Adam formed and then his wife was formed from a piece of him? What are the odds of that happening? Because it's zero, right? You can believe believe it but it has to be a miracle with a with a probability of nothing so again it's just like you're, you're not using this with your own like belief system which whatever so like no naturalistic explanation in principle can ever be less likely than you know some sort of supernatural miraculous alternative and nobody really seems to get that it's also i never hear that talked about by anybody so i i try to talk and i'm not here to like tell you that your religion is wrong. It's just, I'm just here to tell you that science isn't like, evolution isn't statistically impossible, right? I, I don't care if you if you believe in a Garden of Eden or whatever, but you know, don't say that evolution is statistically impossible when that's not the case. So the, uh, a lot of this has been debunked and is continuing to be debunked by Professor Dave, who has just a really awesome YouTube channel. Oh, yeah. Because there, there are people that will say like, well, the odds of they'll take a protein in the human body or or whatever, and they'll say the odds of that protein spontaneously forming are, and they'll like calculate it. And like, there hasn't even been enough time in the universe for that to have occurred. Um, and their statistical model might be correct, but they're forming it in a in a way to make it that way. Because first of all, proteins can change that you can have different uh without getting to the specific biology of this you can read a piece of dna and and get there's more than one way to code the protein i'm, try, I'm trying yeah. to think of how to do this without yeah. explaining the actual specifics if if i just took if i took the ck off of the end of a word and just had a k we would still know that that word says like black for example it'd be spelled wrong but the message would still be there it's kind of mm -hmm. analogous to that it completely ignores the idea of gradualism, which is kind of one of the hallmarks of evolution that, no, we don't get the proteins or the organisms of today just fully formed out of a random chemical process. They gradually formed in such a way that that it in such a long period of time and in such a way that, you know, all these things can really happen. So you just kind of manipulate the way it's talked about. I think it was Mark Twain. He said, there are lies, damn lies, and then there are statistics. You know, so they're kind. They're kind of doing that. It's 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 kind of funny because I think they forget about the amount of time it takes for things to you know change through evolution. For for instance, like it took almost four billion years for life to assemble and become complex or multicellular. So and then. Fast forward 600 million years, give or take, and we're here. So it doesn't happen overnight. And yes, you are absolutely correct that, yeah, it is a really small probability to have a genetic mutation. It's extremely small, but it happens over 
many different instances in in one organism of one species that is extremely vast. And then when you have these natural selection events happening, you then sometimes select those genetic mutations and they move on and they build upon that and other genetic mutations happen. So it is it is very unprobabilistic, but it the probability is still there for that outcome to happen. And it does happen and we see it. Yeah. Well, there's also like the error that goes like, you're trying to say, how did this specific organism end up, you know, evolving? And sure, maybe the odds of that one specific organism having that one specific trait that allows it to survive are extremely low, but there are many different ways for organisms to be successful in the environment. So like the fact of organisms being able to reproduce and survive in an environment is practically inevitable, yeah. right? Because we have biodiversity and there, there are all kinds of different ways. Like it just so happens that, I don't know, some type of, some type of butterfly has this specific camouflage that allows it to blend in perfectly with the environment. What are the odds of that? Maybe extraordinarily low, but it could have evolved in all kinds of different ways, you know, and it could have occupied a different niche in the environment. Maybe instead of living on the bark of a tree, it lives on the ground. It would look complete, it would have to look completely different to live there. And it's just the random idiosyncratic changes that happened and then magnified over the generations that allowed it to live uh in the lifestyle that it that it does yeah yeah i agree but yeah for the most part it's just a complete ignoring of the idea of of gradualism and things like that and then there's the classic show me one example where a dog turned into a cat <clears throat> well <laughs> it's never happened nor do any evolutionary biologists say that that could happen uh in principle mm -hmm. but the idea what they mean by that is at least i think is uh show me an example where one species turned into another yeah and uh you have to be you can be honest and say well that's not observable although it's, it's kind of it has arguably been observed like peter and rosemary grant saw a brand new type of finch evolve on daphne major but then they'll say oh, but it's still a finch it's like okay so what you meant is a completely different kind of organism excuse me different kind of organism evolving into a different kind of organism that is unobservable but like of course it's unobservable because a human being cannot live for hundreds or thousands of years yeah. so then what you want to do is you want to ask them so if something cannot be seen directly by a human does that mean that we should assume it's not a thing that can happen because obviously that makes no sense. I ask, because mm -hmm. what I always do, what I always try to do is ask these people questions that takes their logic and apply it to something else and demonstrate that they believe in a contradiction. So I'll, I'll say like, I have a really hilarious series of videos where I ask a guy who built the Great Wall of China, the Chinese, how do you know that? Were you there? Uh, we have evidence for it. Well, we have evidence that organisms evolve. like like our genomes, right? If humans and chimps have a common ancestor, then we should see enormous genetic similarities between us. Look at that. That's exactly what we find, right? We're most genetically, and, and he just was like, nah, that doesn't prove anything. I was like, well, I agree that we can't have absolute proof of anything, but what does the evidence tell, like, do you know how to 
what the evidence would look like, how to interpret the evidence, and then draw rational conclusions from it. So yeah. uh, no, that's, what, that's what I try to do uh, with them is I, I try, or like atoms. Nobody can see atoms. Uh, in fact, it's like fundamentally impossible to literally see an atom, like the <laughs> nucleus, for example. But people don't disagree that they exist. We have scientific models, which are called theories. Mm -hmm. If it wasn't a fact, it wouldn't be called a theory. Except you believe in all kinds of scientific theories as facts, like the existence of atoms. You disagree about evolution. But the existence, of, it's completely, it's all scientific theory. Nobody's ever seen a proton. They never will. Or a neutron. Or an electron. Or the nucleus. But we've devised experiments where we can confirm those those models and there's things we're still learning about it uh the the composition of protons famously like last year there were some computer or uh, machine learning techniques that that told us eh, maybe the protons are actually uh, a little bit different than we thought but it's still a positively charged subatomic particle in the nucleus mm -hmm. so i mean the basis of evolution comes from biology and that means that you discredit biology and if you discredit biology you're discrediting chemistry and if you're discrediting chemistry you're discrediting physics so what does physics do it's the basis of what we understand in reality so you can't just deny one thing and then say everything else is okay well i mean you can if you don't think about it no well that's fair <laughs> for the people who want to think about it yeah <laughs> Yeah, yeah. yeah. Like, also... I would agree, but they don't agree. Yeah, yeah. What do you usually say for people that want to come on and talk about round Earth versus flat Earth versus the the uh, the Taurus? Is it is it the Taurus that they that they go with? The, the donut. That, the donut. Yeah, I, yeah. I get that comment a lot, but those are all just uh, globies <laughs> that are joking. I also get uh, dinosaur, chicken nugget shaped, and triangle shaped. Those are the most common. Ones that people don't really mean, but they're all they're all really funny. So arguing with flat earthers is extremely frustrating. And mm -hmm. I I learned how to do it in a completely different way, uh, which is probably the non-intuitive way, but it's the most effective way by far. Um, both for creating hilarious content and and driving home the point. So one thing is when you're talking to a flat earther, don't talk about whether or not we've been to the moon or have been to space, because that's actually completely irrelevant. We hadn't been, like Eratosthenes never went to the moon, and he calculated the circumference of the earth, assuming it's a sphere, like two and a half thousand years ago. With great so, accuracy. With Yeah, with pretty good. He was probably only off by like 15%. Yeah. So. Whether or not we've been to space is, is irrelevant. So that immediately gets rid of more than half their arguments because their arguments are, so you believe in the moon landing, huh? You know that Stanley Kubrick and what's his name we're meeting and who's the Warner Von Braun was, we took him over from Nazi Germany and on his tombstone, it says something about the firmament and every picture you've ever seen is CGI, even though CGI didn't exist in the 60s or 70s. Yeah. Uh, don't engage with that at all because it's completely irrelevant. Um, all I do, I don't even try to convince them that the Earth is, a, I mean, I sort of try to convince them that the Earth is a globe. But what I really do is point out that there is no flat Earth model. It has no explanatory value. It can't predict things. And it's riddled with all kinds of contradictions and logical absurdities. So mm -hmm. what I do is I tell them, 
explain to me, according to your model, why a sunset occurs. And they'll say, because when something gets farther away, it gets smaller. So eventually the sun just disappears. It's like, okay, great. Here's the problem with that. The sun doesn't just become a smaller and smaller circle that just becomes a point of nothingness. Right. It never changes size at all. And you know, when you watch the sunset, this isn't a circle, but whatever, when you watch a sunset, it does this. It doesn't do this and then and then shrink to nothingness. Yep. Also, um, are the stars farther away than the sun? Yes. But we can see the stars at night. That's because they're brighter than the sun. Then during the <laughs> day, we would be able to see the stars. No, because they're farther away. But when objects get far away, you can't. So, it's, so it falls apart completely. That's how you know you have a model that doesn't make any sense. It doesn't work. It contradicts itself, right? So that's just one example. But um, that's fair. You're just taking. You're taking their. They're bre you're breaking down their argument or wanting to yes. hear their logic and then breaking that down rather yeah. than you trying to pour out the the monumental amount of evidence that we have for around earth and and that could probably mm -hmm. go with with most conspiracy theories because that is you know the round earth versus flat earth the flat earth is a conspiracy not a you know not like what we were i don't know it kind of falls in between the denial and the conspiracy in in that so we might as well just talk about conspiracies since we're yeah, here flat earth, is, flat earth is weird like people that don't believe in evolution it's for some of them it's conspiratorial because they think it's you know uh chinese paid liberal democrat satanists that are trying to plug it into the educational system so that they can make everybody gay and then the world will end something pretty close to that um yeah. but really it's it's more just they just it just doesn't jive with their their faith or whatever and it doesn't make intuitive sense to them so flatter flatter like it is it's kind of like a fuzzy border it's not like a jfk thing and it's not quite like an evolution thing it's it's in the middle in a weird way but like real quick uh, we'll talk we'll talk about this but like with the flat earth thing what i if you ever find yourself talking to these people what you have to this is hard to do but what you have to do is Agree not to talk about things where the other person can just go, no, uh, because like you could tell them we went to the moon. Do you agree with me? No. Okay. Well, let's just talk about something that neither one of us can deny, right? Like the fact that the sun really does do that. Mm -hmm. Neither of us can disagree about that. It's impossible to. So those are the only kinds of things you should talk about when you're, when you're talking to a flat earther. That's that's a fair point. Just getting back to the deeper, just back to the roots, the objective, the truths, the reality of of things, and and agree mm -hmm. upon that. Yeah, yeah, and that might make them rethink what what they have a stance on, possibly. <laughs> but since we're Maybe. kind of like teetering on that on that aspect towards you know the the conspiracy realm of things, what uh, do you do? You have any people that come on and want to talk to you about certain conspiracies? I mean, you already kind of touched upon it with with uh, baking the moon landing, but do you have any others yeah. that kind of come out like how uh, the woodwork? Not typically, because I don't. <clears throat> I I try to just steer the conversation away from from yeah. politics, but like it does happen. The, the moon landing one is a big one. I've had in my discussions about climate change. I've had people say like it's just a big money grab. 
I was like, how much money do you think the oil companies make? Because it's it's so much more than the solar panel companies make. Like, and yeah. it's subsidized. Mm-hmm. Like, if you believe in a conspiracy, then talk about the group that is like subsidized by the government. Like, mm-hmm. you're anti-government, right? Aren't aren't you like a right-wing figure? Okay, well, the 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 status quo you're defending is in bed with government. So, like, how on earth? Do you square that with with anything that you? No, so that's that's just yeah. Silly, yeah. If they even care about like people, they should even look into the statistics of how many people die per kilowatt hour of fossil f- fuels versus like other alternatives. I mean, that is something that they that they could easily go on a rabbit hole with. Yeah, I mean, yeah. the data doesn't matter. You you can't yeah. you can't rationalize somebody out of a position that they use their emotions. Yeah. You, you can't rationalize point. your way out of an emotional opinion. Yeah, that's so, a fair point. Unfortunately, yeah. Do you guys ever talk about um about you know aliens or anything like that? I mean, you can get into a good statistical analysis with people, but but most <laughs> of the time it's it's just based on conspiracy. Like, oh, aliens are already here. You know, we're we're keeping alien probe or alien um, hardware at area 51 and the government's lying to us. Like, do you ever get into any of that? I very recently have had several of those. Um, I talked to a guy on my YouTube channel, Planet Peterson. Um, It's a video. It's not from too long ago. Um, It just says, oh yeah, this guy saw a UFO. I uploaded it three weeks ago. That's, that's the title of the video. So he has, he has this pretty long story about how he, and he's part of this like weird kind of religious cult. It has a name. I can't remember what the name of it is, but it's been popular for, for many decades, but I'm getting people who I don't remember. Maybe, you know, I don't remember is, I don't think it's the Anunnaki, but maybe it's, it's the Anunnaki and there's some other group that i don't know it's like something the ancient egyptians or assyrians or babylon or somebody believed in and they oh they insist that those are were aliens and they have oh. like alien technology and stuff like that i have had several of those conversations fairly recently and they're they're just kind of weird because you like you ask them for their evidence and they don't have they, they don't have evidence they have claims that's that's another huge thing that yep. is common across every single one of these debates I have is you're not really arguing from a standpoint of uh, evidence. You're just making the claims, right? So like I, I claim that aliens helped build the pyramids. Well, where, what's your evidence? Well, like they couldn't have done it themselves. It's like, okay, well, that's not evidence. That, that's an argument from incredulity or, or something similar to that. Yeah, definitely. That's that's the fundamental basis of of anything that we would talk about here in this entire podcast is that if you want to change my mind, show me the evidence and there better be a surmounting like there there's there better be a huge amount of evidence evidence that would make yeah. me go against the consensus of the scientific community in which I don't even have to study. Say like I'm not a biologist. I know physics and engineering. But I can trust the consensus of the biological community to tell me evolution and genetics and 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 just this sort of a taxonomy that we have created. So I just need evidence. And if you can't provide me with evidence, I'm not changing my opinion. 
I don't think people are immune to evidence. I mean, some people, it won't make a difference, but overall it has to make a difference because we're definitely less ignorant than we were a long time ago. You know, I've never discovered anything. I doubt you have either, right? Nope. <laughs> no, nobody does. But I know <laughs> so many more true facts about the world than the smartest person alive did 100 years ago, probably. Yep. And that that's true for, you know, your average idiot today, too. So the j just centering the conversation around evidence, it, it makes a difference. So, yeah, that's Definitely. that's what I try to focus on, too. One funny, uh, it's kind of along the conspiracy lines, but I was talking to a, a flat earther a few days ago, and mm -hmm. I said, like, I, I said something to the effect of, like, 99% of the population doesn't believe this. And I just made that number up, obviously. <laughs> I mean, we do that all the time. Like, there's, mm -hmm. the, there's the hilariously ironic quote, 86% of all statistics are made up on the spot, you know? <laughs> <laughs> which I just made up on the spot. Yep. But he he got super, he was fixated on that. He's like, where'd you get that number from? Because when I log on to CNN, the highest number I can find is 85%. I was like, okay, two things. One, so still the vast majority of people don't agree with you. And then I, I would not let him off the hook. I was like, did you just cite CNN, the mainstream media? <laughs> I, I, think, I don't think he realized uh, the catastrophic error that that was for part of his in group to, to do that but mm -hmm. <laughs> it's just like i just kept being like wow so you believe what the mainstream media says huh because uh, and that's a great and that's a like a good thing that we could follow up to is you know you were saying that like yeah we are technically a lot smarter than like the smartest people 100 years ago but at the same time with the amount of information that's out there there's also an insurmountable about amount of misinformation so mm -hmm. between that and also it, what it seems to be that like there's a lot of people out there that don't know how to source correctly. They're sourcing CNN for a statistic. Uh, first of all, if you really want to go back to like high school or college and, and write a paper, would you really be okay with would you be okay with one of your students citing CNN on their paper or would you rather them go to CNN, look and see who who they're citing off of? And then go right. to that person that stated that statistic and then say, okay, this person said the statistic because they have this initiative or they're in this organization. Now, if they're coming from, I don't know, some Christians group for, for education, create, would you say that that's very credible? I don't know. It just depends on their motive and what they're talking about. So you have yeah. to kind of dig deep whenever you're doing your sources and and coming up with with your your claims yeah um i i have a graduate degree and one of the introductory classes was uh it was called graduate research and design i think maybe i don't remember but i, I had to write like an academic an academic paper and i remember we had to write like an introduction to it or something this was this is a long time ago it's hard to remember but i remember writing my my intro paper to what my research topic was going to be and um i got it back and the professor was like this is really good but it's extremely biased i was like but i didn't i didn't state like my opinion on anything but what was crazy and this this makes your brain just work in a different way i, I think mm -hmm. it's it's a valuable thing and 
we not not enough people do it not saying everybody should go get a master's degree that would be stupid but yeah so i remember like writing that paper my paper was going to be about the effects of digital technology and how it mimics addiction mm. in all kinds of ways and so i remember like i would i would cite a paper i would summarize something about a paper talking about like how the brain works and then i would add a phrase like but in modern society it is very different from the plains of africa where our species evolved blah 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 and so my professor would give me my paperback and he would have that crossed out he'd be like you can't say this this is bias and it just it was so weird to me because i was like well like it's it's a scientifically but if you're not summarizing something that you read in the specific research for the specific thing you're looking up it's not allowed to go in there and that was that was hard for me to do and i think i was thinking like in the in the natural way and so that really coached me on how to only stick to you know the research you're reading and and nothing else you're not allowed to interject anything else in there and mm. so that was kind of, that was kind of a wake-up call yeah. i wanted to go back to conspiracies for just a second sure because i kind of have an idea about this like why are does it seem like so many people are conspiracy theorists or whatever there's sort of in my mind i think there are a couple things going on that that help explain it so one would be that conspiracies do happen. Like we know that there are several conspiracies that have become true, like the CIA trying to topple over uh, democratic leaders of other countries, for mm -hmm. example. We're supposed to get some additional dumps of JFK files, so maybe we'll learn something. Like you know, the FBI, the CIA, our own government, organizations that the government is involved in, like the the sex scandals from the Boy Scouts and the Catholic and the Baptist churches, for example, mm -hmm. um, there are a huge number of true conspiracies. So if you have, like, if we lay out like the top 100 or the top 20 top conspiracies, like unproven conspiracies or whatever, um, you, can t you can sort of take three positions. All of them are false, all of them are true, at least one of them is true. Out of all those possibilities, at least one of them being true is probably the most likely, actually. Mm -hmm. But we don't know which one. So the conspiracy theorist sort of isn't married to any of the ideas, but gives credence to all of the ideas. Um, and th that's not exactly irrational. I don't. I don't think it's irrational, but I don't think it's totally logical, and it it's not like economically, if we can think of our thoughts as like being economic thoughts. Um, it's just not, just giving credence to all of them doesn't really work because, you know, if, if you would, if you're playing roulette and you put money on all of them, you'd lose money on all but maybe one or two of them, right? So, mm -hmm. you know, you're better off just like sticking with one or or choosing none of them, right? Yeah. So, a lot of people like i'm i'm skeptical of pretty much every conspiracy like people and people talk to me about this like especially the alien people or like the ufo people that's really popular recently mm -hmm. they're just like they, they act like i'm a killjoy or i don't want to believe or i'm being a jerk or i'm or i'm acting holier than thou or smarter than thou and it's like <laughs> well not really i'm just choosing to take the economically most sensible position on this which is if i deny every single one of them I'm going to be right 95% of the time and I'll get one or two big ones wrong. Um, but, you know, overall, 
I'm in the right. So like economically, statistically, it makes the most sense to be skeptical of. That. And technically it's okay to be wrong in that instance yeah. because it's just yeah. based on, you know, scientific discovery and you can just say, "Hey, I was wrong. We move on." Yeah. So I think that's sort of the that that's the difference in skeptical thinking versus conspiratorial thinking where there's like there's perfectly good justification for thinking that some or many conspiracies are true but they what it kind of ends up doing is they 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 don't necessarily believe in all of them but they believe all of them could be true or any of them could be true equals all of them can be true and those aren't the same thing there's a really important difference there but so yeah i just wanted to talk about that no no and i think that's it's actually a pretty good segue because it is important to talk about why we have so many conspiracy theorists and and i mean really naturally we are kind of conspiracy theorists in a way like we're very let me back up and say we're very susceptible to being a conspiracy theorist if you're not taking the approach of what you just said like for example i think we could really dive into the near the neuroscientific explanations of this but um i yeah i'm not a neuroscientist so i can't really do that but from my understanding is that the people who are more likely to be a, a conspiracy theorist have an abundance of free dopamine in their brain which is really oh, important yeah yeah which is really important to to the decision-making processes that we have in our brain. And that's what they've seen in a lot of different uh, cases. Like, for example, they had a certain amount of people come in and uh, like do a, a coin flipping test. And then they were associating that with uh, conspiracy theories. And they indirectly asked them to find patterns in the coin flips. And the people who were associated with believing in at least one conspiracy theory were inadvertently finding patterns that weren't specifically there. And that leads into a correlation of conspiracy theorists, illusory pattern perception, and then what a lot of people refer to as Ramsey theory. So if you have a probabilistic, um, let's just say like a set of probability, like any any event that happens in yeah. reality has a probability to it a, a certain amount of outcomes and whenever you have a data set large enough it is inevitable that you're going to have an event or a pattern emerge and conspiracy theorists are overly wired to find patterns from what the neuroscience is telling us and that's that's really interesting, interesting. it is very interesting yeah, you know, we probably need people like that in our in society. It's sort of like um, the idea that so like Albert Einstein probably had Asperger's or was probably autistic. Um, a lot of a lot a lot of CEOs have uh, dyslexia. A lot a lot of geniuses have been somewhere on the spectrum, right? It it cause you would never really wish that upon anybody uh, because ninety nine out of a hundred times it does not lead to good outcomes but sometimes for for random reasons just the way we're wired inspires somebody to think in a different way and and discover something new and with the conspiracy theorists it's probably like it's probably good for a journalist to be a little conspiratorial minded right because the that's like journalism is supposed to 
one of the things it's supposed to do at least is is to uncover those kinds of things yeah so you know it's probably good in a way that's that's an interesting study but yeah we're yeah. all we're all inclined to find patterns where there are none that that's something that comes up with a lot of the with a lot of the debates i have like the the pyramids line up perfectly with the with orion's belt and i was like yeah three three dots in the sky three pyramids just line them up so they don't quite make a perfectly straight line mm -hmm. that's even if it's not a coincidence all it means is some people saw three dots in the sky and then built their pyramids in a three dot pattern to the, it doesn't mean anything yeah. that's the but, same thing with constellations i mean that's what we do yeah. we anthropomorphize what is in front of us and if you have that thousands of stars in you know a you know a little square box that you can put up you know it's easy to say that like maybe four of them will align in a rectangle or maybe eight of them will align into what we think is a scorpion like that's that's just yeah. going to it's innately going to happen if the data set is yeah. that huge just obvious people uh people have argued that there are like patterns and stuff in the bible too and i was like the bible probably has about a million words um, how many words are in the I want to know this. I want to know how many. Oh, that's the 783,137. So there's there's three quarters, a little more than three quarters of a million words in the Bible. And it, I don't know how many pages it is, but it's probably like 1,200 pages or whatever. Um, with that, you're inevitable. You could make so many different patterns of course. out of it. And, and people say, like, I, don't, I don't know what people... Isaac Newton wasted his life looking for patterns in the Bible. Um, normally people just like quote scripture, you know, and then they they refer, they like they hyperlink Old and New Testament together to make connections. I haven't really heard a lot of people try to tell me that there are like patterns in it. I, I have heard it before, but we never really mm -hmm. get into that because I don't care. I just I just say it's an enormous book. You could make all kinds of patterns out oh, of it. Uh, there's a famous one, a famous example of that is actually Moby Dick. And the writer of Moby Dick is um, conspirized as the prophet to the death of Princess Diana. Because if you align the the letters in a certain way on a singular, like like on a rectangular plane, uh, there's like princess, like it's like kill princess oh, right. die or something like wow. that. <laughs> yeah, oh, it's hilarious. Yeah, yeah that, I mean, that stuff, it, it's all, I could, I, tomorrow, funny enough, Tomorrow, I will have lived my one billionth second. Ooh. I calculated this months ago, and then put a put an alarm in my phone for it. And I, I got a I got a thing yesterday that my like two day reminder. Hey, on Monday, you turn a billion seconds old. It's like it's like thirty. It's a little more than thirty one and a half years. Yeah. So I could something that happens tomorrow. I could just be like, this is because of this. And if I, if I mm. sat for long enough about it. I could, I could figure something out, but I'm not going to. Yeah, and that, and maybe this is a good to also say because I don't think that I mentioned it whenever I was explaining Ramsey theory or illusory pattern perception. But the illusory kind of part of it is where they're finding patterns that are mutually exclusive, like they're taking events and they're and they're mutually exclusive events and tying them together exactly with what you just said like hey it's my billion second tomorrow what if xyz people die then that must mean that 
the United States is falling apart. Like yeah, those are yeah. three totally different things. And then you're making a pattern from them. So like, like humans, no, not even just humans, our entire lineage of, of hominid, right. Have been evolving to find patterns to escape danger, uh, understand yeah. what's good for them to eat based on, you know, say like smell or, eyesight any of our sensories right we we look for patterns that make sure things are safe or okay for us to do and based on some of the neuroscientific things that i've said that now we also are maybe too good at finding these patterns and sometimes over reach yeah. to find these patterns and that's where they link where people can fall into being a conspiracy theorist i don't know if that makes sense maybe it does no, it it makes perfect sense. I mean, what, what we could call bias or whatever, it, it almost mm. certainly evolved as a survival mechanism because Definitely. believing a rustle in the grass is a lion is better than believing it's the wind, even if that's <laughs> an irrational belief. Because mm -hmm. if it's the wind every time and you were wrong every time, what happened is you got some exercise that you weren't planning on from like running away. Um, mm -hmm. But, you know, if it's a lion once and you just were like, ah, I don't think so this time, you're dead, yeah. right? So uh, we're hardwired for that kind of thinking, which causes us to deny reality in, in some respect. And so relying on those heuristics, it kept us, we're sort of like innately cautious. We, 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 tend, to, we, we tend to be skeptics in the, in the sense that we we all resist changing our beliefs. I mean, if we were always skeptical, nobody would even believe in anything, probably. Yeah. But so, but once you have a belief, you know, we're all sort of pretty skeptical and cautious about it. But that historically, that's kept us safe, and there's there's nothing wrong with you know using heuristics to get through day to day life, especially in a time where the amount of influence a single Homo sapiens could have on the world was almost nothing. Mm -hmm. But the world is extraordinarily complicated. It's much more complicated than our biases. Uh, the real world requires sophisticated judgments mm -hmm. and our biases lead us astray. And they, they also uh, desensitize us to the possibility that we could even be wrong because we, we appeal to our in-group or our, our religion or our whatever we, you can, any kind of belief can be identity defining. It doesn't, it's not science versus religion. It, it can be anything. It, uh, nationalist pride blinds people to all kinds mm. of things. And any ideology. A, yeah, any yeah. ideology. And there's an enormous mm. extent throughout, uh, there's an enormous amount of evidence throughout history that mm. you know, nationalist thinking, for example, led many countries into either collapse or inspired them to do horrific things or, or whatever. Yeah, that's that's definitely true. So I think we're going to take a, a quick break, but then when we come back, I think what we're going to do is lump segment two and three together. And we're going to talk about maybe maybe a little bit more about science and statistics and then oh, yeah. talk about uh, breaking down and discussing logical arguments. So stick around. All right, we're back. This is, I guess, a, I guess a hodgepodge of segment two and three. We're going to talk about defining science, and then we're going to wrap up and discuss uh, arguments, or just kind of breaking down illogical arguments, making uh, a logical argument, etc. And uh, Eric's 
probably the best one for that. Mm-hmm. Let's just get started and talk about how science works. I know we've kind of already touched upon this in segment one, but maybe going over it a little bit more. But I don't know, maybe you want to start out by explaining how, what your interpretation of how science works, and then I can kind of throw in my feedback. Sure. So for me, science is just a different way of thinking, mm-hmm. right? Um, but it's so it has to be unique in some way. Uh, otherwise, it would just be called philo- we would just call it like empiricism or some other type of philosophy or, you know, whatever. But science, it's it, it's a systematic study of the natural world. There's there's a methodology behind it. What distinguishes science as different from other like truth seeking disciplines is like the fundamental axioms or assumptions are a little bit different. We can get into those later if we think it's important. But in in science, you you, you collect data about the world. You make these observations. And then you formulate your proposed explanation for what you think is happening. So that's your hypothesis, right? So these are just the middle school, high school, science class level steps of the scientific method. Then if you can, ideally you want to do some sort of controlled experiment, but not all, not everything can be experimented on. Like we can't make black holes, but we've figured out ways to still observe them and collect more data. And then, you know, whatever prediction you had, collecting more sensitive data can tell you if something, some characteristic or mechanism behind it is then observed and that can confirm your idea. Or like if you're trying to study animal behavior, you don't, it's probably not the best to do it in a zoo or in a cage because that's not really nature. So you're not really doing the experiment in that case, but you're still collecting data in a, in a methodical way. So What's different about science is science generates its own data, right? People will say that, you know, I, I've heard people say that science is confirmation bias in a way. And it, that almost sounds like it could kind of be true because it's like, well, you know, the scientists, they just confirm everything that they that they thought in the first place or whatever. Like you have your hypothesis and you, then you do the test to prove your hypothesis wrong. It's like, well... The experiment is actually designed to disprove the hypothesis. People like uh, Karl Popper, who are like philosophers of science, have argued that science is more about disproving things than proving things, right? So confirmation bias is when you data mine for ideas that conform with an opinion that you had or an idea that you had, right? So uh, you can just ignore all the data that doesn't support you and until you find something that does and you go, ha but in science, the, the scientific process creates the data, right? And then that and then that data is analyzed. And then the big important thing is that data or those experiments are then repeated by other groups because something that can't be independently verified or isn't accessible to third parties can't be considered really objective in any meaningful way. So, mm-hmm. I mean, there there are probably other things that I'm uh, forgetting, but that to me, that's kind of what science is. it makes predictions. So it's yeah. it's kind of like a uh, it's it's almost like a prophecy driven industry in a way, but it's done it's done with you know experiments, observations, and then looking at the data. Yeah, uh, most definitely. Uh, I think sometimes sometimes science works a little differently than that. Like we 
sometimes don't have the opportunity to experiment on things first, but we can figure out how to mathematically solve something first and then experimentally prove it later and then get total consensus on it. Sometimes it's just a combination. Mm -hmm. it's, it's always the combination of the three where you have a mathematical, yeah. um, a, a mathematical or modeled evidence, then you have your experimental or observation evidence, and then you have clear consensus of the scientific community. Not everybody's going to agree yeah. on mm -hmm. your, on your um, tested hypothesis, but if you have the majority of consensus, that's, those are usually what hold true. Um, like, for example, the Big Bang Theory wasn't always a theory, but it became a theory because it had not unanimous, but the majority of people agreeing with the results. There are still people that had alternative hypotheses to how the cosmological, how cosmology takes place or has taken place in this universe. So mm -hmm. most of the time it is exactly the way that you've, that you've laid it out, but sometimes it ends up, and it also sometimes it ends up being kind of weird. You're, you're doing uh, work or research on one thing and you get some awkward anomaly and you're like, well, what the hell is that? And you end up finding something through a fluke and then you test it and other people's yeah. other people test it and you come to a consensus on it. You have mathematical modeling and boom, we just found something else. We just found the particle. Uh, it, it just it just happens that way. But no matter what, no matter what the sequence is, the science is still the same. You still need to have consensus. If you don't have it, it's not something that we can fully utilize uh moving forward yeah um and a a commonly used talking point is that consensus isn't science so like going back to the climate change thing because this, this is the only one i can really think of but there's that often quoted stat that 97 percent of climate scientists agree that humans have an impact on the climate and so people will argue like consensus isn't science or whatever it's like well there's a lot of things we could say about this. One, do you just, so you're obviously threatened by the 97% number. So <laughs> what do you think the number is? Like, do you think it's exactly backwards? No. Okay. Do you really think that it's not more than 50%? Because there's no way that you, you seriously don't like, let's say it's 90%. Now, oh, they lied. Oh, except it still says that the vast majority of them say it's, it's because of the thing that you're not talking about. But the idea that, um, these are just the scientists' opinions. It's like, no, they're they're regurgitating the scientifically verified evidence. Mm -hmm. So, in a way, consensus is science. In a way, like it, it depends on exactly what you're talking about and, and what you mean. But yeah, that that talking point is sort of stillborn. I mean, it's it's dead from the get go because it just doesn't make right. a lot of sense. Well, the consensus is subjective too. I mean, you don't want say a, a hypothesis of the big bang theory being you know analyzed by a construction worker and a nurse like you yeah, want that's, you that's want cosmologists true. and physicists and people who are in similar disciplines that can you know apply uh their own input based on their you know their results from their field and if you have a collective Maybe a collective consensus is better, a better term, or a subjectively collective consensus, you know, uh, then then you actually have something in science that is proven. You can't just have 
a non-subjective consensus. I don't get where the you just trust the experts on everything. I was like, <laughs> so do you? I mean, like, it's like you know, there there are some people who are majorly skeptical about medicine, although it's usually just vaccines or whatever. Mm. But like, you know, I again, I I just try to use their own line of thinking against them. I'm like, so like when your doctor says that you have a heart murmur, do you do you say, well? <laughs> Would they teach you that at, at Princeton Medical School? Yeah. <laughs> it's like, yeah, they did, <laughs> which is, which is, uh, which is how you know you can trust me. But the colleges are all just part of this mess. But like, this is where it becomes a conspiracy, sort of again, and we don't have to get back into that. But it's like, yeah, the whole, like the whole idea of of academics is something to just like thumb your nose at, or whatever. Is I don't, I I really don't get that at all i don't know where that comes from i don't have a good explanation for it no it's it's weird and and people that are outside of science also maybe maybe i should add this is i think people outside of science have an issue with like clinging on to names rather than uh proofs you know what i mean like they they cling on to well well, well, Newton was wrong about X, Y, and Z. For for example, he thought that only uh, light was was in photons and it couldn't be in waves, or that you know that Newton's laws of gravity don't apply everywhere. So it you know it, he was he was wrong. It was false. You know this gravity's false. Well, no, it's just that we can apply Newton's laws of gravity to very simplistic uh, you know circumstances, but then we need say relativistic gravity from Einstein's theory of, you know, general and special relativity yeah. to be able to solve more complex problems. And there's, I think, I think a lot of these people then don't understand that there's a, an, an essence of, of change and progression in science and that it changes and progresses sometimes slowly, but sometimes also really rapidly. And it's hard for, uh, if for, for any for any human to to keep up with uh, mentally, because it it can go really fast with you know technology. That's one thing that we kind of saw with uh, with for say vaccines in the last two decades. It's hard for people to understand how how rapidly we've been able to introduce such a, a new method, and it's it was scary for people. So they end up yeah. like kind of I, we didn't really talk about this but maybe like whenever you don't understand something it's really easy to plug and play a very simplistic answer to things to give you comfort and sometimes science does that it provides very scary or non or very very complex answers to things and if you don't have that understanding or you think it's very traumatic to you it's way easier to just say well well, this makes more sense. So I'm going with this avenue and I'm just going to, you know, disregard yeah. science. Yeah. No, I don't think we talked about that earlier, but the, just the, the influence of traumatic events is, is huge. Yeah. Um, or life-changingly positive events too. Oh, true. You know, true. A lot, a lot of people that convert they they'll, they'll say that it's because they, they, their life was not in a good place and they asked for things to be turned around and they did. And then they they attribute it to that, and so they they convert to some religion or or whatever. Or like it happens like politics wise, like I I grew up in a big city, and I always thought that the this party 
didn't know what they were doing. And then I grew up and I realized it's the other party that doesn't know anything. I was like, well, first of all, both parties are are kind of idiots a lot of the times, but <laughs> um, so yeah, it's I, I I agree. That's that's probably where a lot of it comes from. Yeah, and uh, one one other thing that I I don't know if you get this. I'm, maybe you do, but people like to associate science as an ideology or or a religion. Do you get that at all? <laughs> yeah. Oh okay. no, no. Yeah, a lot. I, people tell me you just worship the universe. It's like I literally don't worship anything, but I agree the idea of worshiping something isn't very productive. So are you going to renounce your beliefs right now? <laughs> and, and so obviously they don't do that. Again, not consistently applying it to themselves. Yeah, they accuse me of uh, worshiping the universe, worshiping science, worshiping evolution. It, it makes absolutely no sense. <laughs> uh, people say that evolution is a religion, or the Big Bang is a religion because they. They say that um, it's, well, I don't really know exactly what they mean by that. I'm not sure if they do either. But one of the things they'll commonly say is it takes more faith to believe that we came from nothing than it does to believe in a creator. I was like, well, I don't know if it's like literally 50, like it can't possibly be 50-50 because there either is or is not a million dollars under my bed, but it's not a 50-50 thing. Right. So there's that. But this whole I first of all, I don't believe we came from nothing. I just don't know. And this goes this goes back to what you're talking about a little bit ago. Um, People like we hate. Thinking that we don't know why, like the reason behind something. And so that can cause somebody to cling to like, you know, a conspiracy or they just make something up in their head or Mm -hmm. they'll go along with something somebody proposed even though there's not necessarily anything to back it up maybe not anything to refute it either but you know a proposition is not assumed to be true until it's disproven that's that's not that that doesn't really that's not how that works although you are innocent until proven guilty um it kind of sounds like we're putting the cart before the horse in a lot of this because yeah it's better actually just to say that we don't know i mean we just started doing science couple hundred years ago <laughs> and yeah, you know, our species have been around for 300,000 years hominids and um our, our hominid lineage you know two to three million years and then started walking up right six to seven million years ago so i mean we're, we're pretty fresh on the block in terms of trying <laughs> to understand stuff and we're going to be wrong and it's good to just you know, continue to question things that make sense to question and also try not to jump to conclusions that don't need to be concluded. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Going back to the science is a religion or certain types of science are a religion, um, like this just literally can't be true because a religion necessarily involves the belief in a, a supernatural realm, one or more gods, something like that and um science like the fundamental assumptions of science are that 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 does not exist like Mm. science assumes that the natural world is all there is and it operates according to fixed natural laws you know supernatural explanation cannot in principle ever be a valid scientific explanation for something so none of those things can be religions uh because it like evolution, it doesn't require the the belief in a miracle. A lot of people mm-hmm. think that 
statistically unlikely is what a miracle is. And that kind of is like a a layman's definition for it. It's, it's how it's how the word is used mm -hmm. most of the time. But no, like a miracle by definition is an unexplainable supernatural event. And none of the we kind of talked about this already. No naturalistically proposed mechanism can be a miracle because right. it's proposed via a naturalistic mechanism. <laughs> and for for things that we don't know, like, oh, so then how did the Big Bang happen? I don't know. I'm not trying to tell you. I'm not trying to even give you a hypothesis. I don't know. I think it's just it's it's a it's a mislabeling and just a misunderstanding. Like, say you're driving home from work and you're and you you know round the corner too hard and and just barely miss old granny going through the you know the the street light. So it's not a miracle that you you that you miss the granny. It's actually just a probabilistic event between you can associate it between the friction between the road and the tire what's going on in that day weather wise um mm -hmm. you know your your handling capabilities of of the you know in your in your reaction capabilities it's there's no miracle in that sense it can it can be explained yeah i don't typically debate astrology but it has the exact same problem so like it makes claims and what what you just outlined there those are claims but there's zero explanatory value there because how do, this is something else i try to ask people how does okay so like you say the big bang is impossible because something can't come from nothing or whatever i i don't i never claimed that that's what happened but i'm just interested in your explanation so what did the creator make the universe out of and they they never have anything right so there is no explanation so claiming it's a miracle doesn't establish anything because if jesus really did take the wheel then how do you do that? How, how do you take the, how would we, how would we know that? How could we ever, and it's fundamentally impossible. So the justification for the belief just has to be because I believe it. And yeah. to me, I, I just don't think that's super valid. Um, John Locke, he sort of had this, like, it, he wrote down a lot of stuff about epistemology. So, you know, he said that, you know, any claim that can't be reduced to its particulars, which just means like described by laws or theories, mm -hmm. and then replicated by others, that just that that can't be science, right? And your subjective experience is inaccessible to outside parties, so it can never be confirmed. And like, sure, whatever you believe that, like, if you believe that something was revealed to you in, in some sort of way, then okay, but there's there can never be any justification for anybody else to believe it. And you also can't, if that can happen to you, then it can happen to anybody, but they're gonna have different kinds of revelations from mm -hmm. you, which is why we have all these different, you know, religious beliefs or or whatever else. Even, you know, there are 31 flavors of Christianity. Or no, that's ice cream. Uh, there's thousands of different sects of of christianity right because they all claim that some some sort of unique revelation like martin luther i don't i don't really know a whole lot about him i don't know if he thought that his beliefs were divinely revealed to him maybe he did maybe he didn't but you know and then there's the people that talk to snakes whatever their deal with that is so if it's not accessible to other parties then it can never it could never possibly help us to lead to any sort of truth 
because whatever the facts are have to be objectively factual. And if there's no mechanism to how we arrive at them, which is unbiased and depersonalized, then like we can't we can't call that the truth. And that's another thing that separates science from all these other sorts of things. Like it's it's depersonalized and unbiased. It's done by biased people. And so like errors can be made, but the methodology mm -hmm. itself finds and corrects those errors. Yeah. No, exactly. That's that's a way better way I could probably put that. What 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 my understanding is is that it's, you know, faith doesn't require you know any evidence but there's two ways of looking at things and it's fine like say you miss granny and you say jesus took the wheel that day that's fine and and that's your one data point you're totally okay with saying that there's nothing wrong with that but then there's also the you know the objective re the objective reality to it is that we had x y and z parameters and you could associate that with a probabilistic event and explain it with the laws that we have come up with through science. So there's the scientific yeah. way of looking at it. What I'm trying to say is that faith-based and science are two separate things. And there are two ways of looking at, you know, the situation. One has yeah, evidence, one has none. Yeah, they're very different. And, mm -hmm. you know, on the one hand, faith seems sort of innocuous, like appealing to, like, if you're saying like it happened because you prayed for it and it happened or appealing to, divine revelation or faith or whatever on an individual basis it's kind of sort of harmless but it has catastrophic potential for being a justification for how we should organize our lives right so it's just you can easily picture some like demagogic figure who's put in charge like you know whoever the leader of the ayatollah is or uh Kim Jong-un in North Korea or whatever, like, or, you know, the Pharaoh back in the day or, you know, whatever. Luckily, there's not a lot of this that happens in the United States, but, but I, I fear that there's, that we're heading in that direction and that there's a group of people that are, that are hungry for it. But if you just install this one person, then they're just going to say, well, God told me that we should, I don't know, invade venezuela and take all their oil or just something ridiculous i mean it's happened all kinds yeah. of several times before throughout history so mm -hmm. that's where it becomes uh, it's not benign anymore and so hopefully we can all see obviously the people in the in group are like yeah yeah that's wwjd he would invade venezuela and take all their natural resources that is what jesus would do um but then the outside parties are like no, that how does that make any sense? So hopefully we can all see mm -hmm. or people can like realize that you can't if one party's gonna use it, the other party's gonna use it. And so we have to have some sort of way far more depersonalized objective way of doing things. I'm not saying we should use science to do our to do our politics for us, but it it should clearly be a methodology that's behind some of the decisions we choose to make. Um, and then, you know, we can just use logic for all the other things. Yeah, I, I greatly agree with that. And, you know, mine was just a super simplistic example that you can apply faith to. But in, in those realms, well, there's way more at stake. There should be, <laughs> you know, an implementation of, of you know, justification of, of, uh, of events. I, I definitely agree with that. And yeah, I mean, history is, I mean, anybody who reads a, 
like history has seen ideologies that have been pushed down by these um by these figures that then get people to listen like you know obey by what their their commands is due to whatever that ideology that they may follow and it's very powerful just this this is just going to be a funny uh ridiculous hypothetical but it i I think it still makes the point but like um Mm -hmm. you know like asserting that our rights are like god-given rights for example like like jesus wants you to like it was the second amendment was jesus's idea or something like that right it was ridiculous but you know i hear people talk about that like if you start with that fundamental assumption that they're like god-given rights then okay is if that's the the second amendment okay well then your interpretation of it is your idea of a god like it's literally divinely inspired Mm -hmm. so like it can't possibly not be true and any violation of it is it's not it's not just personally insulting it's like literally morally wrong, right? Um, and then, and then what can happen? Well, you can have people that hold that belief and then take it to the extreme. And so now, all of a sudden, um, nuclear weapons are now you can buy them. Like if, if we're going to take the most literal possible approach to this fundamental God-given right, then Jeffrey uh, he could buy several nukes. And do you want Jeffrey Bezos to have nuclear weapons? Uh, what's he going to do with them, right? Like. Like, I know that's ridiculous, but in in principle, hypothetically, that kind of thinking can obviously lead to outcomes that nobody wants, right? So it's it's just not a healthy, productive way to try to navigate the world and, and make decisions. No, definitely. And, you know, we, we were talking a little bit earlier about, well, I just name dropped the the term sample size. You know, if you have a sample size of, of, of one, uh, one thing that is kind of concerning in a lot of conversations that I have is the inability to understand sample sizes. And, and, and that's extremely important in statistics. And I, I know that I think I was on one of your lives once and I was listening to you talk uh, to uh, somebody that came on, they were, you were talking about like the US education system and you were talking about like how important it is to understand the sampling sizes of things that determine the statistics that you're trying to cite. So like, obviously, right, we have, we're, I don't know what our, what our population is, it's close to like 380 million. Uh, you wouldn't want a hundred people, a hundred, a hundred person sample size to determine the statistics that you're going to provide to the vast majority of the people that live right. in the country, right? A hundred versus 383 million is, is substantially different, right? You want to have yeah. a huge sample size if you're trying to perfectly represent the United States population that's true the larger your sample size the the more it it will match with reality there are i read a book about statistics this summer called the art of statistics and most of it just was up here and i was down here but so we we can do it's called like random sampling right so like if i wanted to if i wanted to give a number like a a figure for what is the salinity of the pacific ocean i you can probably get away with only measuring it in maybe actually a hundred places. Um, and then that's not going to tell you that the average of that number will be the average salinity content of the Pacific Ocean, right? Now, in some places, like where there's a, a river running into the Pacific Ocean, it's not as salty in that one spot because it's fresh water, right? But the average is right. is that. So that's what we want, like with one of these, like with a 
with a survey or, or whatever this is. So you have to have, I don't know theoretically what the minimum number for a, for a good random sampling would be for that. But then the other problem is knowing how to randomly sample. And at one point I did know how that works because you, you can't just grab, like if you're going to do a survey, you can't just like, for example, rank the states according to population. Um, and so like California would be number one, Wyoming would be dead. I'm pretty sure Wyoming's dead last, but you can't just say that it's valid to take, let's just say there's 40 times as many people in California than Wyoming. I think that's pretty close. You don't just pick 40 random people from California and one person from Wyoming because that won't be random. Like they won't be randomly sampled. And, and I don't remember how to do that, but it's, it's complicated. It's very complex. Yeah. It, it is. And and I think a lot of the time we want to boil down, you know, statistics so that we can make sense of it. And it's, it's kind of, it's, it's counterintuitive, you know, statistics is, is supposed to um, bring light towards like very complex situations. Yeah. Uh, but it's very unintuitive. Like I have an example, let's say there's a, a cancer that affects 1% of the population. There's a test that's developed for it, and the test is 95% accurate. A random person from the environment is plucked, and they test positive for the cancer. What are the odds that they actually have it? So there's, there's a few different things going on here, but we know the test is 95% accurate. Mm -hmm. We know that the cancer only affects about 1% of the population. So we pick a random person. The odds that they actually have it um, is, I believe, less than 9%. So that's just, that's so weird because the test is ninety five percent accurate, but you have to mm -hmm. factor in how rare it is, and it it works better if you like see a picture of how this works. I'm not going to describe the math because I don't know it off the top of my head. I just remember that that specific example, the actual answer, is like eight point nine percent, and so yeah. yeah, these statistics are important because I don't remember if I said this in our like a uh, little meeting before the podcast or during it, but people don't think in equations or data we think in stories and yep. the simpler the story the, the more effective it is the better it is and so yeah that's where for the millionth time we need these objective depersonalized unbiased mechanisms for trying to describe things and nothing in the universe is more objective than math no that's the <laughs> that's the bare bones <laughs> if you if you're denying physics then all you got left is is math that's it <laughs> yeah <laughs> We should we should probably round out the episode, and I really want to get your takes on this. Is how you um, go about these arguments or these conversations with people who have these denials or these um, conspiracies in your your live events? What 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 are your tactics? What do you like to do, and what do you commonly see? I usually try to, I have all kinds of data that I can use to back up my claims, but mm -hmm. so I used to, when I started doing this, I thought I would just like, you know, list scientific facts and, and that'll work. But, you know, somebody that doesn't believe them that it, like it works for people that already agree with it and people on the fence, maybe it would be effective. But what I more so try to do now is I try to analyze the way that they got to their conclusion, like their way of thinking. We talked about this with Flat Earth, where I just go through their model and show how it just can't make any sense of anything, right? Mm -hmm. but what, I, 
what I usually do is, is I just try to dissect their way of thinking. And if I can, try to get them to admit that it's not consistent. Or um, even if they are consistent, then be like, okay, but the conclusions don't follow the premises. Like, like the idea that uh, the universe has to have a creator. Because like everything that's created has a creator. The universe exists, therefore it has, it's like, well, okay, but we don't know that one of your premises there is true, right? So it's gotten more to just uh, trying to analyze the way the thoughts were, were formed. And I think that's educational. Like if, even if somebody doesn't care that much about science or whatever, hopefully they can understand. Like, I really am a teacher and I, I know that virtually none of my students will ever be scientists or work in a field of science, but I really hope that they understand how the scientific process works and why it's why it's valid and can be trusted. It won't always be right, but it's valid and can be trusted. So that's what I try to go over with, um, with these people. And then there are important things to point out, like a, like a burden of proof. Mm -hmm. So a lot of people will say to me like, well, you haven't uh, disproven my alternative claim it's like I, well i agree but you know you can't just assume that something is true until it's been disproven what what we should do is we should apply like reasoning to see if the explanation is any good so you use what's called like bayesian reasoning mm. and that's basically like with aliens right so did aliens build the pyramids or did egyptians build the pyramids so the most logical way to think about this would be, okay, none of us can travel back in time. So none of us will ever objectively know, right? So we can agree on that. You agree? I agree. Okay, good. So what we should do is we should use, we should try to use evidence as best we can and apply it to one of our explanations. What evidence do we have that aliens have visited earth? The pyramids, no. That's an argument from incredulity. You're saying it had to have been aliens because right. you don't have an alternative explanation. I have the explanation that Egyptians live in Egypt and we have found all kinds of tools and there are some diagrams of them, like not necessarily building pyramids, but like you know, doing the kind of work. Uh, it's not miraculous. It doesn't, it doesn't, it it does not violate Occam's razor and it's parsimonious, meaning it has the fewest number of assumptions. And I, I'm not pulling on anything for which we don't have any data. So that's why, to me, Egyptians built the pyramids using mechanical advantage is by default, it has to be the most likely explanation. I don't know exactly how they did it, but it has to be a better explanation than it was aliens or something like that. And this is also what I do for evolution, because um, people will tell me, like, life can't come from non-life or something like that. It's like, okay, well, your alternative explanation is probably going to be some form of creation or whatever, like some sort of miracle or whatever. So how how is that supported by anything? Because there were no witnesses. I know it's written down in some books, but not by the people. Like Adam didn't write the opening lines of Genesis. <laughs> Obviously, that doesn't make any sense. Even if he did, that wouldn't, that wouldn't prove that those miraculous events transpired in exactly those ways so i tell them like look everything we know about life is that like every, we know so much about the way life works life is you can define it in all kinds of ways but life is just the 
what all living organisms do is they metabolize carbohydrates and they phosphorylize ATP. You know, there's nothing miraculous taking place there. Every single thing about that is just chemistry and physics, chemistry and physics, chemistry. That's all life is. So I don't know, and I nobody will ever know for certain that or how life evolved just like nobody will ever know how the pyramids are built or how the great wall of china was built but the idea that life evolved out of just these uh chemical systems in the water probably around a hydrothermal vent isn't it is a rational evidence-based explanation because it's based on everything we know about the way life works and it's not I'm not pulling on anything outside of that. So I don't believe in the idea that life was seeded here by comets, because that wouldn't even, that would just explain how life got to earth, not where life came from. Um, I don't believe that the Xenu aliens uh, injected sperm into volcanoes, which then erupted, and then the volcanic ghost sperm impregnated monkeys, uh, and then they became humans. That's Scientology uh, in a nutshell. Yeah, it's, 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 it's it's shockingly similar to that, actually. Um, so okay. is that a better explanation than life gradually evolved here on Earth? No, it can't be in principle. None, none of the other ones can be. Theirs, like they get to, like they claim that their idea is better because in a way it's sort of like hyper-specific. Like we know who the first person was and he was formed from clay and, and God was there and, and whatever. But it's also completely nondescript because it, it has no explanatory mechanism for how anything happened. It's just the claims. Yeah. Whereas I'm telling you the particulars, I don't know. Um, but I'm not really, I'm not claiming that I do. So that's another common argumentative tactic that I never really noticed until fairly recently is when I'm debating with somebody, I, I tell them, I try to ask them, give me your explanation then for how it happened and what they instead focus on is telling me you don't know where life came from you don't know when it you don't know what the first organism was and i just very recently had this conversation i kept telling the person stop telling me what i don't know i asked you uh to tell me about your explanation and they can't do that uh, so that's a really good tactic to use to try to flesh out like hey like Yours isn't really based in much of anything other than just believing it. Yeah, believing it in face value with with no no causal evidence whatsoever. Yeah. It's not necessary. Yeah. What what okay. about? Oh, go ahead. Sorry. I was just gonna say real quick. We kind of already talked about this, but like people say, like you weren't there, you don't know, or it can't be observed, therefore it can't be proven. Mm -hmm. And. Uh, this is, I've been meaning to like make some videos about this. Like when people say prove, they actually just mean find some evidence for. So like, like the guy who I talked to about the Great Wall of China, I told him, I think, I don't really believe this, but I'm just going to claim it was aliens. And you think the Chinese built it. You can't prove me wrong, can you? No, but we, we each know that my explanation is not better. In that case, we can both see it. Now apply that same line of reasoning with, you know, where life came from, for example. And that's where the, that's where the failure occurs. Yeah, no, that makes a lot of sense. Uh, do you maybe, do you also see where people jump points a lot? And maybe we, we did talk about this a little bit where you said like how, well, 
you know, prove to me that that the that the Earth isn't round. And then they're like, well, <laughs> you know, you don't even believe in the moon landing. Well, that's obviously yeah. jumping points, and that goes with any sort of argumentative platform, like with a with a with a set, I guess, um, point in mind, right? That that can be that can be kind of tied in anything. This is this is another very important skill that I that I picked up just sort of subconsciously. I do not let people change the subject. <laughs> sometimes sometimes they'll just uh, scream into the into the microphone and filibuster the the conversation. They'll just rattle off five different things while I'm sitting there saying, "Stop changing the subject. Stop it. Tell me more about the the first thing you said." Um, but I don't let them do that. And uh, I don't think they realize that that's what they're doing. They're trying to prove their point by gish galloping and saying 10 different things at the same time. And when you don't let them do that, a lot of times they get extremely frustrated. And then, yeah, they some sometimes they just say 10 things at the same time because that's their idea of the it's, it's like somehow they think that's piling evidence on you. That's not really what you're doing. But a lot of times the subject gets changed because they've run themselves into a corner. They don't know it. They, mm -hmm. they don't maybe consciously know it. It's their subconscious being like, change the subject. Uh, it's it's a defense mechanism, right? So um, some hilarious uh, examples from this is like this is uh, several months ago. This flat earther I used to talk to named Nick. He would there's like five different occasions where we were talking about something and he would just yell into the microphone, why does it rain? It should never rain, according to your glum theory. I was like, we're not, what? We weren't talking about that, but, or yeah, I mean, the, the evolution deniers and flat earthers, mm. they do it all the time, cha changing the subject, so. Oh yeah, I was, I was actually listening to one of your lives recently and there was a guy that came on and he, in like one stint, talked about dark energy the fine structure constant there was what else he was he was trying to argue like with the big bang and yeah. and then then you guys switched into i don't i don't even know there was just way too many things that were kind of mutually exclusive and i'm just sitting there laughing uh because he was trying to pull up you know like a youtube video to talk about uh the fine structure constant but yeah i was just so confused on where are you going with this like it, <laughs> yeah yeah <laughs> that's I, obvious the changing the subject i'm just kind of like ah, yeah. i was, and it, it lets me know that that i'm pretty sure i'm winning the conversation because people, yeah. people do it all the time it's just i wish i could think of more specific examples off the top of my head but it's, i think intuitively people can can even even without examples it's you know think back to the times where you've had conversations with your uncle at thanksgiving and yeah. he just talks about four random things when you started talking about you know gender versus sex and, and he goes off in a, in a whole different tangent yeah. so if if you watch if for some reason you watch the news like the mainstream news or whatever which a lot of it is kind of garbage because it's just, the format it's just so stupid like well we only have five minutes because we have to we have to sell opioids during the commercial break so that we can keep the lights on. So you get you get five minutes to describe why your explanation for what we should do with the most monumental infrastructure pro proposal ever given or the most monumental foreign policy 
decision ever made. You have, you have five minutes before we sell opium to the masses. Go. And so it's literally just the most idiotic uh, soundbite type stuff you've ever seen. So along the reason I bring that up is because if you do watch that kind of stuff, what you'll find is a lot of whataboutisms. Mm. And a whataboutism is kind of changing the subject in a way. Yeah. Because somebody will say like, well, your candidate said we should deport all ethnic people or whatever. Well, what about when when your candidate ran a red yeah. light? And it's like, okay. Or or like when they try to like point out hypocrisy, like, well, yours does this. What about isms are, are kind of the same thing. It's when you can tell that one or both parties are just like not being honest in the conversation. Or even just trying to get personal you know, like personal attacks and, and what, because they have no, oh, yeah, I get a lot of those. Yeah. No logic left. It now it's just, okay, I'm going to throw an emotional appeal at you. Yeah. Ad hominem attacks. I, I, I get those fairly regularly. Uh, we, we talked about a few of them before. It's not exactly an ad hominem, but people like say to me, you just want to worship the, the universe or something like that, or you hate God, um, or who hurt you in life. And it's like, <laughs> you're not, you're not a mind reader. You don't have that power. Uh, so just stop stop pretending that you have that gift. Nobody does. I'm not even claiming to be super special, uh, but you definitely don't have that gift. And if, if you're attacking me and not the idea, it's because you can't attack the idea or your ideas are weak. So like, whatever. It doesn't bother me because because uh, to me, it, it it's just a sign that, you know, you're losing the argument. You don't really have anything. People ask me like how I put up with it. And it's like, you know, I used to be very quick to just scream that you're a bad person or you're an idiot, but it's, it's, it's not productive. And I guess I've just sort of gotten used to it, but also it, it doesn't help you. Like I care that people learn and maybe they're going to forget all the scientific facts, but hopefully they, they learn how to think. And that's something that I hope that my channel does i focus on science because that's my my passion but ho hopefully it's showing people you know like the logical fallacies and and what actually is more statistically likely or probable or or whatever and recognizing those fallacious alternative arguments you know i was going to ask for some this something as like a a closing statement from you i think that was the closing statement that was pretty good. I like yeah, that. Yeah, in the middle in the middle of it, I was kind of like this this sounds like the uh the clo my closing statement. So, <laughs> but yeah, no, I I appreciate, you know, you taking the time to be on the podcast and talking to me about the things that you faced and, you know, shedding light on logic and illogical arguments and it's it's been a great time. I really pre appreciate your your time coming on the podcast. Thank you. Yeah, it was a good conversation. My pleasure.